Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. And uh, you saw it on the title, John MacArthur Correction Podcast. So uh, have some corrections. I did a podcast a few uh, a couple weeks ago about John MacArthur. I played his video. If you missed that, you may want to go back and hear that. Uh, you want to hear it in his words, um, what he said, and then answer that. I do have some corrections uh, to make, and I appreciate that. Um, some people uh, sent me some messages. Most of them were really good, and I appreciate the uh comments about it. There was some pushback. Some guys did a whole podcast about my podcast. Uh, one guy sent me everything John MacArthur has ever preached about the blood, at least almost a 10,000 word essay that they put out. I read it twice and I'll read you some of that today. So I want to correct a couple things. And one thing, um, are you ready? Okay. I was wrong. Yes. I was wrong. Uh, we will all make mistakes. And as fast as I talk, I am sure will make more than my fair share. Uh, but if I did say something wrong, I do want to correct it. So I said John MacArthur had a college and called it the Shepherd's College. That was not right. It's called the Master's College. Um, I haven't lived out there in over 30 years and did not look it up. And I should have. So it's called the Master's College, not uh, the Shepherd's College. So I need to correct that. Then also... Um, about uh, his Bible, I said, uh, it's amazing for someone to be so scholarly uh, to write his own copy of the Bible, uh, but to miss the truth about the blood. And so they said in the podcast, I said he wrote his own translation. I did not. Um, I said he wrote his own copy of the Bible. I was referring to the MacArthur Study Bible. It's got his name on it. And so uh, I know he didn't write the text of it, um, but he did write all the notes. You got to be you got to feel like you're pretty scholarly if you have your own study Bible out with your name on it. By the way, interesting, when I looked it up, uh, it's in the ESV, in the New King James, in the New American Standard, and I'm sure it'll be in his new legacy. 
Bible. Also, uh, he does have a new Bible version that's out called the Legacy Standard Bible. By the way, if it's the standard, <laughs> um, why do you need the other ones if it's the standard? Um, and how do you know if it's the standard if it's out there and brand new? Brand new. Yes, I know he did not. Um, I translate it all. He had people, but he commissioned it. And so if you wanted to say that's, quote, his Bible, just like they call it the King James Bible, King James did not um, translate any of the words, but he did commission it. So anyway, either way, your own MacArthur Study Bible or the new version that you commissioned to put out, uh, people definitely think that he is scholarly. And it's amazing to me to be so scholarly that you would not understand and the simplicity about the blood. Okay. Uh, last correction on my part uh, about the blood. What I said was I heard in Bible college about how John MacArthur didn't believe in the blood. Uh, I don't believe he said he denies the blood. If I did, it was about back in that day where people said he denies the blood. Um, I do not believe he denies the blood. He just denies that there's anything special about the blood. And he doesn't believe that it was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. He does not believe that. And we're going to talk about that today. The biggest thing the podcast did was uh, that it was against me to say it's not the blood, it's the death. And uh, they said that over and over. Every time I would explain something about the blood, they would stop and say, okay, uh, again, the blood means um, the death. We'll talk about that. Um, and no, I don't believe it's by bleeding, okay? And then he couldn't just cut his finger, here's the blood, there you go. No, it's the death, burial, and resurrection, okay? Uh, we don't say it's just his blood, not his death. They say it's just his death, not his blood. Blood is just a symbol of a way to describe the death, a violent death. They say that over and over. It's just a symbolic term describing the death. And I'll read you exactly what John MacArthur said about that. They say we're fixated or have this weird belief about the blood, just like the Catholics um, in the transubstantiation. No, that's heresy. Uh, when you take the cup, it does not turn into his blood and the wafer of the bread doesn't turn into his body. Uh, that is a symbol and we understand that. We are not like that at all. This is not a symbol. This is actual fluid. This is real. And I believe there's an actual mercy seat. And I believe I can prove that from the Bible. So hang on in this and uh, listen to it. I believe it will be a help. Okay. So yes, the literal fluid of the blood has offered to God once. I believe that and we'll show that. So uh, there has to be a sacrifice to God uh, and it's not, um, and they say it's not him offering up his blood. They say it's his death. No, I believe it is both. Um, they say it's a minor point, you know, to believe there is a place in heaven where Jesus sprinkled his blood. No, it's imperative, okay? It's imperative. And we'll show that. The blood had to be sprinkled on the top and side of the door or the death angel when it passed over would have killed that child. The blood has to be applied. That's the picture of it, even by their own agreement. If the, if the lamb was perfect and spotless and male and without blemish and of the first year and all the things that lamb had to be done and it was killed the right way and the blood was shed and was put in the basin the right way and it was burned the right way and they did all that, but that blood was left in the basin and not sprinkled on the side and top of the door, that firstborn would have died. The application is absolutely necessary. If not, then Jesus wouldn't have told them. I promise you, if they did everything right, but did not apply the blood to the top and side of the door, that 
firstborn would have been killed. And the same thing, it is a part of what God said we have to do. Um, they said um, about me attacking MacArthur, I didn't, uh, uh, attacking me personally, I didn't say or even imply to that. He didn't, he doesn't know me. Uh, he attacked the blood of Christ, applied and that is what I'm defending. I have nothing personally against John MacArthur. I think he's a good teacher and says some good things that I would agree with. I believe he's off on Calvinism, legalism, Lordship Salvation, the Bible versions, and the blood. But I have nothing against him personally. Um, then in the podcast, I said something about uh, the high priest and the bells on, and if he died, they'd have to pull him out. And uh, I was corrected on that podcast by a person that said um, he studied it out, and it's not in any kind of Jewish history. Let me kindly say this. I don't care if it's in any kind of Jewish history because it's in the Bible, okay? The bells are in the Bible. Exodus 39, verse 1. And of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made cloths of the service to the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so these are the garments. Verse 1, verse 25. And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on upon the hem of the robe round about between the pomegranates. Okay, he had bells on his sash or him, whatever you want to call it. He had bells on, okay? Uh, now, the rope, the Bible doesn't say the rope. Uh, so if you want to say, okay, that's not in history, that's fine. That is in, in history that where they talked about it, but it's not in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, I'm fine if you don't want to believe they had a rope tied to his leg to pull him out. But to say he didn't have bells on would be to deny the Bible because he did. Um, they say, well, Jesus somehow, quote, transported his blood to heaven. Yeah, I don't think that happened. Really? Is that hard for the creator to do, to transport his blood to heaven? Really? <laughs> the creator? He can do anything he wants with his word. That's not a hard thing for him to take his blood and transport it to heaven. Um, so the blood, they say, was a spiritual reality. Uh, you worship him in spirit and in truth. The blood was just a spiritual thing. It's reality, but it's spiritual. It's in a spiritual realm. He didn't actually put his blood in heaven on a mercy seat. And we'll show that. Uh, yes, we worship God in spirit and in truth, but that has nothing to do with the real physical things that happened to Jesus or what he did after that physically rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and I believe took his blood and sprinkled it. I say over and over and over, it's not the blood, it's the death. It's both of them. And they say the mercy seat supposedly exists. Ooh, ow. Uh, boy, I wouldn't want to say that. No, it does exist. Um, also had people telling me I need to take the podcast down. I need to repent. I need to make things right with John MacArthur. It's funny, the one podcast that said I should have talked to him personally about it, besides airing it publicly, <laughs> But yeah, they did a whole podcast against me, and they did not reach out to me personally uh, for that interesting piece of hypocrisy. Uh, someone said, I'm sinning against a brother. No, I believe it's like uh, Paul uh, correcting Peter. Of course, he did it to his face, uh, but then God exposed it in all the Bible. And so uh, if John MacArthur would talk to me, sure, I'd be glad to tell him this. Uh, but this is public. He's a public person um, teaching this publicly, writing it down. Uh, so um, I don't believe I misrepresented him. 
So uh, someone sent me his whole belief on the blood. Uh, they said I misrepresented him. I read the 10,000 word article twice. Okay. Um, we're going to read some of that. 10,000 words. I put it in a, a word processor and, and had them count the words t almost 10,000 words, 9,918 words, I believe it was. And so um, I'm going to start out reading a lot of what John MacArthur said. The link will be in the subscription if you want to read the whole thing. Okay. I'm going to pick and choose. I'm not going to read the whole 10,000 words. Uh, but if you want to, um, the description is in the podcast, uh, the link, so you can go look at it. Okay. All right. So this is John MacArthur. Here we go. This is John MacArthur quoting this. By the way, this isn't something someone else put together about him. This is what they put together to defend what he believes. This is his website and his article, and you'll hear that in the, in the um, explanation of it. So here we go. Quote John MacArthur. You want to know about your redemption? You want to know what the blood of Christ was like? Quote, for as much as you know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, nothing is cheap and chintzy as silver and gold for your vain manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, you weren't redeemed with anything as worthless as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the magnification of the simple statement of verse 2, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. You say, well, how can the blood of Christ who died 1900 years ago have anything to do with me today? I'll really, uh, I'll be real honest with you. I don't have the faintest idea. All I know is God said that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And all I know is... Uh, that when a man comes to Christ and says, Christ, come into my life and take away my sin, when a man is willing to repent of his sin and by some divine miracle uh, write, out, um, write out heaven, miracle right out of heaven, God sprinkles them with the blood of Jesus Christ and he is clean. It is a divine miracle that takes place within the life of the man. Somehow, the blood that was spilled on Calvary those many years ago atoned for sin that day and keeps on throughout history atoning for sin to every man who is willing to kneel at the foot of the cross and at the foot of Christ's cross, admit his sin, and allow the blood of Christ to cleanse him. That's John MacArthur. Wow, sounds pretty good. Sounds uh, almost like something I would say. I go on. This is him. In April 1972, while teaching... From the chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews, I dealt with the subject again of Christ's blood. Our Lord's work on the cross was a fulfillment of the type of the Old Testament when the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The Old Testament priest on the Day of Atonement would take the blood and he would go through three areas. He would go through the door into the outer courts, he through the door of the holy place, and through the veil of the Holy of Holies. He passed through the third heaven, and he did it only once on the Day of Atonement, and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. And so Jesus Christ passed through heaven number one, heaven number two, and entered into heaven number three. And God didn't tell him, look, you've got 24 hours to get this over with and get out. Um, when he got there, what did he do? He sat down. It was done. It was accomplished. He made a perfect atonement for all the sins for all time and all other sacrifices before they were but pictures of that perfect sacrifice. The ascended, resurrected Christ carried himself past the two outer heavens into the abode of God. When he got there, he sprinkled his blood on that divine, eternal, heavenly mercy seat. And you know what God said? I am satisfied forever. Now again, please listen to me. Those aren't my words. Those are Dr. John MacArthur's words. Did you hear that? Okay, let me read that last part again. Because uh, by the way, he said it. 
as good or better than I could have. The ascended, resurrected Christ carried himself past the two outer heavens into the abode of God, and when he got there, he sprinkled his blood on that divine, eternal, heavenly mercy seat. And you know what God said? I'm satisfied forever. (laughs) Wow. Is that incredible? Amazing. Okay, again, not my words. He is continuing. And then you go over chapter 9, verse 12. This is John MacArthur. The whole thing, I'm reading that. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Can't you see how superior the sacrifice of Christ is, if the earthly sacrifices accomplished something, what must that one have done? Then in chapter 9, verse 24, Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands. He's not like those old priests going into the tent or the tabernacle, quote, but he's entered into heaven itself and now to appear in the presence of God. Listen to these words for us. Do you like that? Again, wow, this isn't David Baker saying this, but John MacArthur. Again, here, John MacArthur, you see, the pattern of the scripture is simply this, that God has set in order blood to be that which atones for sin. The death of an individual, the wage of sin is death, therefore death and the sacrifice of life is the atonement for sin, the pattern for atonement. The Bible says that the remission of sin is based on our shedding of blood in Hebrews. And so Jesus Christ shed his blood on our behalf that God might be satisfied as he paid the price for our sin. And we, by faith in him, find that sacrifice covers our sin. And so Jesus Christ entered into heaven, not any earthly tabernacle. Then I love this in ten twelve it says, but this man, but this man. And the verse before says, every priest standing there ministering and offering can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever sat down on the right hand of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, the priests were up uh, and at it all day, but this man, once he sat down forever, God said, I'm satisfied. That takes care of it. Awesome. Then again, later on in the book of Hebrews, September 1972, I talked about the ratification of the old covenant through the blood of animals and the ratification of the new covenant through Christ's death. Here's an excerpt from that message. And then he indicates, too, at the end of verse 19, that he sprinkled not only the book, but all the people. In Exodus 24, he sprinkled the altar and the people. And so he sprinkled the altar, the book, and the people. There was a bloody thing going on. I don't think we can understand how bloody, how messy the whole economy really was. It was a messy, messy thing. There was blood all over everywhere. And this was God by sign and symbol, always showing the wages of sin was what? death constantly. And there's no sense of getting teary-eyed and mystical about blood. And we sing hymns, there's power in the blood, etc. We don't want to get preoccupied with blood. The only importance, this is him now, the only importance the blood of Jesus has is that showed he died. There's no saving in the blood itself. We cannot say that the very blood of Jesus, his physical blood, is what atones for sin. It is his death that atones for sin. His bloodshed was an act of death. 
and so we do not want to become preoccupied with fantasizing about some mystical blood that's floating around somewhere. It is by his sacrificial offering of himself. It is by his death that we are redeemed. Bloodshed is only a picture of his death. Huh. Nope, that's not something I would have said. Why did he say the other and then this? Boy, the other, he was so clear. He entered into the heavenly mercy seat. The heavenly mercy seat, he said, okay? Um, and, and sprinkled his blood. Wow, amazing. Um, the ascended, this is back from before, the ascended, resurrected Christ, carried himself, passed the two outer heavens, into the abode of heaven. And when he got there, he sprinkled his blood on that divine, eternal, heavenly mercy seat. Why would he say that and then say, look, it's not his physical blood. That's not what atones for sin. It was just his death. Now, again, we don't deny his death. Yes, he had to die. But he also had to shed his blood. And his blood also had to be applied. All those things had to take place. Okay. Then two months later, this is him again. In November 1972, I talked more about the sealing of the new covenant in Christ's blood. The context of that message was Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. John 17, 19 says this, Jesus praying in the garden, he says, for, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified. Christ said, I set myself apart that they may be set apart. And how was it and with what that he set himself apart with his blood? And read it now and you understand it. A man who is an apostle counts the blood of the covenant with which Christ set himself apart apart and unholy thing. The blood of the covenant was sacred. It was the blood shed on the cross by Jesus Christ. By the shed blood, Christ was set apart to God as the perfect sacrifice. You remember he entered in the Holy of Holies and there having borne the perfect sacrifice, shedding his blood, he then entered in the Holy of Holies as even as the priest did, and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, Christ bearing his blood, as it were, and finalizing that great sacrifice and establishing the new covenant. So it was the covenant sealed in blood, and there are men who count that blood set apart to seal the covenant as an unholy thing. Wow, looks like he got that right. Amazing. Uh, keep reading. He said, keep in mind, they want to talk about Christ sprinkling his blood on the mercy seat. I'm not saying he literally sprinkled his physical blood on some mercy seat, on some physical object in the heavenlies. I believe the writer is speaking in a symbolic sense. It is an illustration which pictures the atoning effect of Christ's death on the cross. His death was overshadowed in the action of the high priest sprinkling blood on the mercy seat in the Old Testament era. Christ offered himself to the Father as a sacrifice for sin. In that sense, he fulfilled the picture of the sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat. Okay, he doesn't believe right. It's amazing. He goes back and forth. The first part, why well, it sounds great. And he said, no, 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 it's just a symbol. Okay, he really didn't do that. Um, a little more. He said, there's an English word that you ought to have in your vocabulary because you might need it or at least understand it. It's the word um, metonin, okay? You know what an antonym is and a, a synonym and a homonym and so um, a metonym. And so he said, well, those words are described different words. Um, a metonin, a, a metonin, excuse me, is the is a different word that's used for something because it has an actual relationship. It is a different word used for something because it has an actual relationship. Let me give you an illustration, he says. The other day I was reading MacArthur. 
Now, you know something by that. We understand you probably were reading one of my books. There's no writing on me. I read Shakespeare. You're not reading Shakespeare. You're reading what Shakespeare wrote. Then he says, now watch, the term the blood of Christ is a, is a metonym um, that is substitute for another term, death. Okay? That's all it is. Just a substitute for another term, death. Uh, no, it's more than that. Um, so then he says, now, let me say something that might shake you up, but I'll try to qualify it. There is nothing in the actual blood that is efficacious for sin. Did you get that? The Bible does not teach that the blood of Christ itself has any efficacy for taking away sin. Not at all. The actual blood of Christ isn't the issue. The issue is that he poured uh, that the issue is that he poured out blood was symbolic of his violent death. The death was the thing that paid the price, right? The wages of sin is death. What death? He died for us. Uh, it is the death is the issue. Hebrews spoke of it as he outpoured blood because it was something that expressed a violent death, or they believe, for example, the Old Testament said the life of the flesh is in the blood, and pouring out of blood was significant to his death, okay? So, uh, no, he does not believe that the blood. Last... Um, last part. He said, I just want you to understand what it means. His blood saves us only in the sense that his death was a sacrificial death of the final lamb. And you want to know something? He never lost his blood, the majority of it. Apparently only some of it came out of those wounds and those would have sealed up pretty fast with nails there. The majority of his blood remained in his body at least a half an hour, maybe longer after his death. It was his death that was the issue. And I say, the blood only connecting with the Old Testament sacrifice. Wow. <laughs> I know he doesn't believe this, but look at how he's downplaying. The only thing he talks about the blood was in the wounds where the nails were. So the only place Jesus shed his blood, they put nails in his hand, nails in his feet, and they would have sealed up quickly with the nails there. <laughs> That's it. And again, I know he didn't believe that, and he's summarizing it, but he said that most of his blood was not lost. The majority of it just stayed there, at least a half an hour in his body. Wow. Um, I, I, I would give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he really believes that, but boy, he sure said it and put it in writing and clarified it and putting it in writing after he had said it. I uh, did some study on that. The whipping, the scourging uh, was apparently so severe when this happens, it would result in a large volume. This is from a medical site looking at the crucifixion. A large volume of blood loss that may have been a quarter to a third of the body's total blood supply by a scourging. Okay? By a scourging. Um, remember <laughs> uh, 39 stripes with the cat of nine tails? You've heard the stories. You've heard it preached. How much blood? How much of the flesh was ripped and torn? 39 stripes with a cat of nine tails with bone, rock, glass put in there. They said sometimes rip them apart. Their, their innards would be out. Uh, their whole back, all the blood that would be. He started out shedding his blood in prayer, the great sweat drops of blood. Then they scourged him, Matthew 27, scourged him, 39 stripes with this cat of nine tails uh, that they say with just that, they could lose up to a quarter or a third of the body's total blood. Um, and how long after that? And so then they spit on him, took a reed, smote him on the head. Then they put the crown of thorns on his head. The crown of thorns, 
you, you've seen, I've been to Israel, seen the thorns. The head bleeds so much. One little cut bleeds, bleeds, bleeds. How many different cuts were put on his head from that crown of thorns? How much blood came down his face, ripping out the, the beard, the blood that came there, and then the blood on his hands and, and his feet? Um, incredible. They say losing that much blood, you would go into hypovolemic shock, a term that refers to low blood volume. In other words, a person would have lost so much blood, he'd go into shock. The results would be the heart would race to pump blood that was not there. A victim would collapse or faint due to low blood pressure. Uh, the kidneys would shut down to preserve body fluid. The person would extreme experience thirst, extreme thirst as a body desire to replenish the fluids. In scripture, uh, you can look and see the hypovolemic shock as a result of that scourging. He carried his own cross collapsing uh, underneath that. I thirst, I thirst as he hung on the cross trying to replenish the fluids. Um, and then the rapid heartbeat that would cause um, the fluid to gather around the sac of the heart, around the lungs, the gathering of the fluid in the membrane of the heart is called pericardial effusion. The fluid gathering around the lungs is called uh, pleural effusion. This explains why Jesus died and a Roman soldier thrust his fear and it came out water and blood. And really? <laughs> This is what John MacArthur said again about that. He never lost his blood, the majority of it. Apparently, only some of it came out with those wounds, and those would have sealed up pretty fast with nails there. The majority of his blood remained in his body at least a half an hour or maybe longer after his death. Wow, Mr. Scholar, I don't think you got that right. Isaiah 52, verse 14, as many as were stoned at thee, his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. Hmm, more than the sons of men. Visage was marred more than any man. Jesus Christ's visage, his, what you looked at visibly when you saw him was marred more than any man and still be alive. More than any man and still be alive. And his form more than the sons of men. His body did not look human because of the beating and flesh ripped out that he took. Really? <laughs> and... And he kept most of his blood? No, he didn't. Um, the last thing for uh, on reading MacArthur. Um, Christ did not and does not do things with his blood after his death. There's nothing in Scripture to say that Christ entered into heaven with his blood. <laughs> Wait, he already said there was. Anyway, the Scripture says he entered into heaven through his blood. And what it means is he went there through his death, having pleased God, and by means of and because of his death as man. He was accepted by God as a perfect sacrifice. He does not, nor has ever, uh, or has he ever sprinkled blood on some heavenly mercy seat. Um, and uh, he is the mercy seat himself, blood stained by reason of the sacrificial death on the cross. Wow. Yes, sometimes blood is symbolic. This blood is shed for you. Understand that, the cup, yes. But this is not all symbolic, okay? That's enough of what John MacArthur said. I read a lot of it. Again, it's 10,000 words. But I wanted to be fair with him so no one said that uh, you know I'm misrepresenting him. I'm reading what he said. The good. I agree with that. It sounded like something I would say. And then, what? <laughs> wow, it's not. So Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to read this. I want you to see it. And this is the Word of God. This is what God said. If you didn't have somebody telling you what to think and you just read this, what do you see? So Hebrews 9, verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sacrifice. Uh, 
For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims, cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But unto the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not made was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for a time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Okay. Let me stop there. So we're going to talk about Christ now. He just went through the Old Testament sacrifice, what he did, went into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled on the mercy seat. Again, that's Hebrews 9. That's example. Now he's saying, of course, you know anything about Hebrews, it's better, it's better, it's better. What we have now is better. Christ, now he's a high priest of good things to come. This is better, a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. So some people want to say that not made with hands. See, that is his body. That is his body, okay? Um, so if you have a question about the Bible, where do you go look? Well, I read uh, history. I read what some man says. Okay, you can, or you can go read what God says, okay? Um, and so when you see, here's the phrase, made with hands, okay? Go look that up. Um, Mark 14, 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days, I will build another made without hands, okay? And so he is going to resurrect himself, and he's going to be made without hands. We got that, okay? Uh, Acts seven forty eight. How be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Now, in heaven, um, are the things that are in heaven made with hands? Absolutely not. Okay, it is not. The temples on earth, the buildings on earth, they're made with hands. The ones in heaven are not made with hands. What is? How does he make them in heaven? He speaks them into existence. All right? So in, not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Uh, chapter uh, Acts 17, 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth in temples not uh, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Okay, God, where does he dwell? In temples not made with hands in heaven. Acts nineteen twenty six. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Okay, they made their gods there. Those gods are made with hands. Ours are not made with hands. Um, all right, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1. 
For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Okay, we are going to get a new glorified body that is made by God in heaven, not made with hands. Then Hebrews 11, um, 9, 11, we just read that. And Hebrews 9, 24, the only other place that's used for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are a figure of the true, and we'll talk about that. So, not made with hands can be the person, the tabernacle of his body, okay, or what God made in heaven for us, all right? So, let's keep going. Verse 12. So, we said first, he's going to a more perfect tabernacle, Christ being a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, Verse uh, verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having eternal redemption for us. Now, where in the world do you get anything about that that's symbolic? He just said he's going to go into a temple not made with hands, okay, dwelling in temples. This is in heaven, uh, neither by the blood of bulls and goats. He's comparing the high priest and he's a high priest, the blood of goats and calves, and his own blood, the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle. Again, hold on before he said, no, no, you haven't proved that yet. I know. Hold on. Um, so we entered in once in the holy place. How in the world would you get that symbolic? He didn't say anything about that being symbolic. This is real. The bullocks and goats, the tabernacle, all that is real. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify them through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Again, God knows the difference between blood and death. Okay. Yes, he had to die, but he was talking about the blood of bulls and goats. Why do you say that that's death? No, he's talking about his blood. How much more shall the blood of Christ? He just said he entered into that. Um, all right, uh, verse 15. And for this cause, he is a mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of uh, necessity be the death of the testator. For the testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and, all, book and all the people, saying, This blood is the New Testament which God hath enjoined to you. It's amazing, even under MacArthur, he was talking about, I don't know how it's done, but somehow the blood is sprinkled on you when you trust Christ as your Savior. <laughs> okay? Um, yes, the blood is on the people also, the podcast says. So where's the blood on the people? MacArthur even says there is. Um, all right, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood, there's no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. Now listen carefully. This is often said, okay? We'll show you it more and again. Therefore, it was necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. In heaven was the true tabernacle. Again, I'll show you that more, but listen here. In heaven was a true tabernacle. The one down on earth was a pattern. 
And it was necessary for the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these. These earthly tabernacle that was built by men's hands, they had to be purified with blood. They had to be purified. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. In the context, when you keep reading, it is saying there is one in heaven. The one on earth is a pattern after the one that's in heaven. But the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices. There is a heavenly tabernacle and a mercy seat. There is an earthly tabernacle and a mercy seat. The earthly ones had to be uh, purified with blood. Verse 24. Here we go. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What did he do? He didn't enter into the holy place made with hands, a tabernacle that's made with hands. He entered into the tabernacle in heaven that was not made with hands. Okay, we just went through that. That was not made with hands. Everything in heaven you speak into existence. He doesn't make with hands. It's not human hands that made that. Christ is not entered in the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true. Listen carefully. The ones made with hands are figures of the true. 23, it says, are patterns of things in the heaven. Verse 20. But for only, uh, um, four, it says, which are figures of the true. The true tabernacle is in heaven. The one down here is just a figure and a picture and a pattern of the one there. I understand a pattern. My boys and I are building a chicken coop. And uh, for the rafters, my son built a pattern for it. Okay, they call it a jig. And so then with that one, you can cut out all the other ones to make it fit like that. My wife sews and before she does, she has a pattern. Um, sometimes she has to make her own pattern on paper so you can transfer it to the material. And it's a pattern. You don't build a dress with the paper pattern. You use that pattern to build the real and the main thing. And so what we have in heaven is the real thing. Thing, and down here is the one that's built from the pattern of the one that's in heaven. And so um, it is a true thing. Verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered in the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And again, through this whole passage, how did they do that? By the blood, by sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat. He sacrificed himself. He shed his blood. He took the blood to the real, true, heavenly mercy seat and then made it uh, to be able to go down there. Um, so this pattern, this is the main thing. Everything else is followed after that. This pattern is designed, the one in heaven, and then you take it after that. Uh, most of the time you you buy a pattern and that's going to give you, this is the true what you cut it out to be. So it's going to be right. And the true, that's what Jesus is, the true. Um, verse 27, and as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Okay, that's Hebrews 9, the whole thing. It's a pattern. The one down here are figures of the truth. If you don't believe that, keep reading or go back and read. We're going to go back one chapter, okay? Almost done with this, but I want you to see it. And when this came out, the criticism was like, really? Could it just be symbolic? Could the tabernacle in heaven just be symbolic? And, and he was just offering himself? Dear God, here I am. Could it just be that? Um, and so I went in and just read more. All right, Hebrews 8, verse 1. 
Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Okay, let's summarize this. Again, this is chapter 8 before what we just read. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Okay, so we clarify. He's not talking about the tabernacle of his body. Okay, Um, this is a tabernacle, the true tabernacle, the one that's in heaven. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched. He built it and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. The priests on earth, what they do is an example and a shadow of heavenly things. It's amazing. On earth, it's real, but in heaven, nope, nope, nope. That's not real. It's just symbolic. No. What on earth is symbolic of what is in heaven? Okay. That's what God said. The priests on this earth, they serve, here's quote, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. God gave Moses this pattern of the heavenly things and told him what to do down here. Go read, very specific, told him exactly what to do. How come? Because we have this. We have the heavenly one, not made with hands, not made by men. This is, uh, uh, the Bible said it's made by God, okay? Um, that this is uh, done by God, um, uh, where it says, the minister of the, side, the Lord pitched, okay? The Lord pitched and not man. God made this, man did not. And the one done on earth is a pattern. Example, Exodus 25, verse 40, and he took that thou make them after the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Okay, so amazing. All right, so that's MacArthur, his reading. Then this is Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 8, proving, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, that there is a true mercy seat in heaven. Over and over and over the podcast, they said, oh, um, uh, the, the blood, remember, it's just as death. You know, God knows the difference. They're different words, okay? In English and in Greek, they're different words. And you can't substitute just death for that. Hebrews 9, 7. Uh, let's just substitute and let's see if it fits, okay? But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without death, which he offered for himself. Does that make sense? No, not without blood. The high priest didn't go in without blood. Uh, Hebrews 9, 12. Neither the death of goats and calves, but by his own death, he entered in once into the holy place. <laughs> no, sorry. It's the blood. It's the blood. You can't substitute death. God knows the word death. And when he wanted death, he said death. When he wanted blood, he said blood. Hebrews 9, 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the death of calves and of goats with water. No, he took the blood. He took the blood. Okay. Um, Please listen carefully. Not just one thing has to be true. Did Jesus have to die? Yes. And be buried? Yes and be resurrected. It took all three of those. He couldn't just have just one. He had to have all three of those. When Jesus went to defeat, he had to defeat death and hell and the grave, not just one. 
He defeated death, but he's still in hell. He defeated hell, but he can't get out of the grave. No, he defeated all three of those. The lamb had to be male without blemish and of the first year. It didn't, couldn't just be male. Okay. Uh, yeah. Take that one over there. That one doesn't have an eye. Yeah. Get rid of that one. No, I take that old lamb. It's about ready to die. No, the lamb had to be male without blemish of the first year. Um, and Exodus 12 verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. Jesus had to be virgin born and sinless and God in the flesh. God manifest in the flesh. He had to be all of those. Um, the lamb, listen, had to be killed and the blood shed and the blood applied. Okay. It had to be applied. Again, that Old Testament sacrifice, it's the example. Nobody can deny it. It's there. Take the lamb, perfect lamb, spotless lamb, first year, without blemish, kill it, shed the blood, put the blood in the basement, in the basin, um, um, burn the, the flesh of the lamb, eat the flesh, and guess what? Go to bed, what happens? That man dies. The oldest firstborn son dies. Why? Because the blood was not applied. What's that a picture of? Okay, that's a picture of the blood applied. Was it tabernacle? Okay, we took the lamb and the labor and we went, we did all the things. We got the showbread, we got everything right. But you don't take the blood and go sprinkle on the mercy. What happens? Their sins are not atoned for for a year. The blood had to be applied. Again, that was a tabernacle, a picture, symbol, example of the true tabernacle that's not made with hands, pitched by the Lord up in heaven. All right, almost lastly, okay, not lastly, but almost lastly, um, they make a big deal and say uh, there's nothing special about the fluid of Jesus' blood, okay? I believe there is. I wouldn't fight you on this, but I believe there is, okay? Um, I believe there is something very special about the fluid of Jesus. I wouldn't fight you about it. This was Dr. M.R. Dehan, okay, medical doctor. I'm going to read him. I'm not a medical doctor, but uh, interesting he is. He said, it is now definitely known that the blood which flows in an unborn baby's arteries and veins is not derived from the mother, but is, produ is produced within the body um, of the fetus itself only after the introduction of the male sperm. An unfertilized ovum, ovum can never develop blood since the female egg does not by itself contain the essential elements for the production of this blood. It is only after the male element has entered the ovum that blood can develop. It's a very simple illustration. Think of an egg of a hen. A fertilized egg is just an ovum on a much larger scale than a human ovum. You may incubate this unfertilized hen's egg, but it will never develop. It will decay, become rotten. No chick will result. Let the egg be fertilized in the introduction of the male sperm. The incubation will bring to light the presence of life in that egg. After a few hours, it visibly develops and is a little um a red streak occurs in the egg denoting the presence of blood. This can never occur and does never occur until the male sperm has united with the female ovum. The male element has added life to the egg. Life is in the blood, according to the scripture, Leviticus 17:11. for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Since there's no life in the egg until the sperm unites with it, the life is in the blood. It follows that the male sperm is the source of the blood, the seed of life. Uh, that's Dr. M.R. Dahan. Um, the blood we know um, with, with Jesus, okay, the, the Mary was the woman, provided the egg, and God, through the Holy Spirit of God overshadowing her, conceived, um, and that child then grew. So where did the blood come from? Where did the father come from? From God. 
that makes, I think, that blood very different um, and very special. As we know, half the chromosomes come from mom, half the chromosomes come from dad, 23, 23, 46 chromosomes. That's uh, where it comes from. If God is a father and Mary is virgin born, then yes, I believe there's something magical about the blood of Jesus. Is the virgin birth magical? I don't like using the word magic. Is it supernatural? Absolutely. And if God is a father and that virgin birth comes from God the Father and that's what um, produces life and the blood, would that be something magical? Something supernatural? I believe the blood of Christ is. Wouldn't fight you about it, but I believe in the physical fluid of the blood of Jesus. I believe there's something so special and magical about that. It's interesting, even about just human blood, uh, the blood cries out. In Genesis 4.10, talking about Abel, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. This is a human blood. God hears the voice of blood crying from the ground. Interesting. You know, they said the rocks would cry out. God can make the rocks cry out. But here, God hears the voice of his brother's blood crying from the ground. If that's a human being's blood and blood is crying, the life of the flesh is then the blood. God's hearing this blood. I'm dying. I'm dying. How much more then would the blood of Jesus be something special? And by the way, it's not just blood. Listen to it. Um, 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's not just the blood of Christ. It's the precious blood. Wow. The blood is a noun. This is the adjective. It's precious. God said it's precious. It's not precious death. It doesn't even fit with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Okay. Last thing, and I'm done. I was also asked, somebody messaged me and say, hey, do you believe this is a damnable heresy? Okay, and I wouldn't fight you on this either. Uh, I believe it's a heresy. It's an error. It's a doctrinal error. Um, I do not believe, I may be criticized on both sides with this. I do not believe it's a damnable heresy. I believe to be saved, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, he's God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He died, buried, and rose again to save us. That's the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection. From what I hear and believe, I think John um, MacArthur believes that. He believes in the chosen, but they believe it's by faith, um, by grace, through faith. Um, A damnable heresy is if you believe it, it will send you to hell. Okay, so the virgin birth. If I'm calling upon Jesus, but he wasn't virgin born, he was just born of a, of a regular man, that can't save me because that Jesus can't save me. Okay, that would be a damnable heresy. If I believe I have to be baptized in order to go to heaven or I can't go to heaven, I'm not believing on Jesus to save me. I'm believing on this baptism to save me. That's work salvation. That's a damnable heresy. I believe most people that trust Christ as their Savior don't even know about this issue until later. So they're saved. They believed in Jesus, God in the flesh. He died, buried, and rose again to pay for their sin. And they didn't know everything about Hebrews when they did. And maybe they were taught wrong afterwards um, or believed wrong. I don't believe that's a damnable heresy. Okay, and if you do, no problem. We can disagree on that. Um, But I don't believe it's a damnable heresy. I believe it is a heresy, and I believe it's wrong. And I believe you can look at all these scriptures and even see what John MacArthur said often um, there that it was sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. And then for whatever reason, he said, no, 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 it's just symbolic. I don't think you can read Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 9 and see it symbolic. It is a pattern. It is a figure. It is a shadow of heavenly things. Um, the one down on the earth is, okay? 
I believe you'd have to see that. All right. Did I clarify anything? <laughs> did I make more? Uh, I knew it would take a long time to do this, um, but um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to it and hope it's helpful. The Bible has the answers, okay? Uh, it's not by what man says. It's not by what a commentary says. It's not by what um, some history book said. It's not by um, any of that. Go to the Bible. The Bible has the answer. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. If you have a question about it, go look at what God said somewhere in there. He clarified it. Okay. I went after I heard the criticism of me, somebody sent me, Oh, they did a whole podcast against you. Oh, great. And I don't like criticism and I don't enjoy this. Okay, here we go. I'm like, man, how are they going to rip me apart? And, um, I'm not promoting the podcast. I'm not uh, giving it out there because they teach other things that are wrong also. Um, but I was amazed. The only real thing they could say was, oh, blood is really just a death. No, it's not. Um, but but it, it's it's amazing, the criticism and understanding when I heard, okay, look, it's just symbolic. John MacArthur believes it's symbolic. The people on the podcast believe it's just symbolic. Okay, is it? God, help me. If it's symbolic, then okay, I'll teach that. When you go and read and study, you say, wow, it's not symbolic. That one on earth is a symbol of the one that's in heaven. It's a pattern made after the one that's in heaven, an example, the true one um, that is pitched by the Lord, not made with hands. Okay. I think it's pretty clear. Um, There is one in heaven and what a beautiful thing by the blood of Christ is still speaking covering our sins, atoned, made, and paid the penalty for our sins by the death, burial, and resurrection, and our high priest taking his own blood into that heavenly mercy seat and sprinkling it there, and now is seated at the right hand of God. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.